Okay, I feel guilty. I mean, I know this is supposed to be about you, the viewer, but this is probably as much for me as it is for you. Sorry. Uh, but maybe that'll make it even better, right? Because I'm so into this show today, people. I am. And so wherever you're from, please tell me where you're from. Who's popped in viewing in the stream? We'd love to pull you in. But because uh, I don't want to get too self-indulgent here and it could really happen because this is one of my heroes of all time. And he doesn't, I hope he doesn't know how much of a hero he is because next time I, I interact with him, he'll charge me double or something. But here's the story. My dad died, um, oh, 13, 14 years ago. It was probably the most devastating loss I'd encountered to that point in my life. My dad was my friend, my best friend. And so when he died, I was just inconsolate. There was just no way I could function. And somebody suggested, why don't you go and do improv comedy? Because that's the logical thing you do when your family member dies. And I, uh, I don't know why, but I said, sure. I mean, I need to do something to get out of my head and kind of be a little more creative and try to create some sense of joy and hope in my life. And thank God I did. And thank God I met Eric Frum and Denise Mays, his wonderful wife. Because I took improv comedy for, I don't know, it seemed like a long, long time. Probably, I think I was in a remedial class, so it was probably a long, long, long time. But the thing that I was transformative to me, I probably weighed 30 pounds more when I first started taking the class. And within probably six months after that, I started losing weight and getting into a really healthy life cycle. I don't think that improv comedy is necessarily designed to make you recover from loss, but I can tell you it was life-giving to me and the skills I learned in that class have had immeasurable impact on me as a professional speaker, as a, a communicator, as a willing person to just do things spontaneously in ways I might not have otherwise. So I'll, I'm tired of talking about him. Let's bring him on, Eric Ferrone. Thanks for having me, Justin, appreciate it. Thank you, thank you for being my improv teacher and really truly changing my life. It really was that. So, um, all right, let's talk about your your life now, enough about me. Um, how did you get into this thing? Like I. I claim that you studied under people like Del Close. I don't even know if that's a real person in improv, but uh, I, I have this sense you have this pedigree as an improver, and that's led to not only being an improver, but also being able to to run a company that, that shares these skills. So tell me a little bit about your life journey. Yeah, so um, the funny thing is, is it all starts like in high school. I was uh, thinking about um, what do I want to do when I grow up, and uh, which hasn't happened yet. Uh, but uh, the thing I, the, I was like, OK, I know I want to be on stage. I know I want to perform, but I want to be a character. I don't like lines. I'd done a couple plays and I was like, so all of these things, I was like, I want to be funny. I want to get I want to do humor. I want to do comedy. All of these things led me to um, what I thought would be improv comedy, but I'd never heard of it because we didn't have Google back then. I couldn't just type in the words and all of a sudden a magic answer appears. I'm like, oh, good. Um, so I was like, do I want to do, uh, so I went to the university, Colorado State University. I said I could either go into uh, theater, um, but I'd never heard of extemporaneous theater or improvisational theater, or I could do, um, or I could do radio and broadcast TV and I, I thought that was there. So I went to radio and broadcast and TV. And then after I graduated, I did a little stint as a videographer, a videotape editor, uh, was not very happy with that. And then I moved to Chicago because three of my four friends from college, my four best friends moved there. And then as soon as I moved to college, I found people who were improvisers 
And my, one of my really good friends was on main stage at Second City. And she's like, oh, my God, you've got to do Second City. You're so funny. And I said, OK. And her roommate's like, no, go to Players Workshop of Second City, do a year there, then do Second City. So I did that and then did um, Improv Olympic and then did um, did Annoyance for the classes at Annoyance and just kind of did all that and then just kept studying. And I'm still studying. You know, here I am 30 years into this, 30 plus years into this. And, you know my poor family we just have books of improv stuff and i'm like oh, okay yeah. so uh, i still i still love it i still i still enjoy it i still get value and find new and interesting things out of it you know 30 plus years into it so what a blessing that is we and, and you know here i have a business audience right so i'm somehow bringing you on to this business audience we better have an interface here between improv and business and frankly i know that there is and i know that you've spent a lot of time bringing this art form, this skill set to business leaders, to business teams. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, and when we talk a little bit about your actual physical property improv club in Denver that really was around forever and how the pandemic has affected it here in a little bit. But just for the sake of people getting their mind around like, OK, I what, whose line is it anyway? Is that the TV show that everybody probably got some exposure to improv from? How do I go from that to its application in business? Well, that's a great question. Um, there's a whole field study called applied improvisation, which is applying the things from improv to things in real life, like grief or whatever. Um, but for me, I was originally working, you know, improv doesn't pay the bills. I'll just tell you that. So uh, for most people, it doesn't. Uh, so before I got into owning a theater with my wife, um, I was working at uh, Telecom, U.S. West, in the Human Resource Department of Applied Research. Um, and, you know, I was training people on how to deliver uh, personal interviews. And I was doing a lot of training. Denise, my wife, who's a corporate trainer at Merrill Lynch for seven years. And we found so many ways that improv and business, I'm like, I'm training this and improv teaches this. And so we found so many connections that it really was a, a no-brainer for us. And then flash forward to 2000, we opened up our own theater. We had been doing productions and classes out of our basement. And our and I think you might have taken classes in our basement. I did. I took classes in your basement. And our neighbors hated that You know, 15 cars would park on our streets every night. And on Saturdays, it would just be a traffic jam because we'd have rehearsals and classes. Um, and so we finally opened our theater in 2000. Uh, we just closed due to pandemic um, last year, almost a year ago today. And uh, for 20 years, we were just doing this and putting improv out and doing classes and shows, uh, putting up shows seven nights a week, sometimes eight or nine shows a week, uh, just and then doing classes. We had, you know, we've, on the last few years, we've had an average of 100 students in classes on any given week. Um, so, so I was in your second class, by the way. I don't even want to know how many classes have followed me, uh, um, but yeah. When we shut down, class 100 was about to graduate. See, that's when I said, I don't want to know how many classes followed me. I don't know if you heard that. I didn't want to know that, but yes, and only 98 after me. Yeah, great. Yeah, uh, um, and it's, it's only a year-long course of study, so but it hasn't been 98 years, so how's yeah. that? I know you were running them kind of in lots of different cycles there for sure. So, but yeah, it was a year. So I thought I'd done it for a long time. So it wasn't just me. Um, no. The cool part is as you're describing that. So you, you have this 
background of being in corporate life and you have Denise, who is a corporate trainer and the combination of those things helped you see how this could help organizations. So let's, let's get to it, right? Like if I wanted to bring you into my organization, and I think there are multiple ways that that can happen. We can obviously do it on the virtual space, but you're already back doing these kind of in, in kind of live settings now, probably on a very limited and safe basis, but it's going to get more in the near future. There's going to be a lot of pent up demand, I think, for people who want to bring someone in who can bring their team together or any number of other benefits that improv is going to give them. So kind of give me the roadmap for, you know, either virtual now or as you're moving. I like to have like a little Candyland map, you know, like where are you on the Candyland map? Um, so tell us where the roadmap takes us. Well, uh, let me start out by pulling the board out first. So I'm going to back up a little bit. Uh, Denise and I, uh, we had been working with Applied Improvisation, and we found that a lot of uh, MBA programs were offering some kind of improvisation in their MBA programs. You look at the Duke School, Farquaad School, and 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 uh, I want to say your alma mater was it UCLA, or I don't want to offend. Oh, geez. Oh, you're sorry. It was nice having Eric Ferrone on the show today for those of us who went to USC. Sorry, I knew it was something. So, uh, something, something. I don't know. It's California school. So, uh, uh, one of those schools has improvisation in all of its grad programs, all the way through. And I was thinking to myself, you know, these people, these, a lot of these folks who are putting up grad programs have taken one improv class and then are teaching it. Uh, as a business uh, u utility for a lot of people. And I'm like, you know, we have 20 plus years or 30. At that time, we had 20 plus years of experience. So I created a uh, Applied Improv Institute, which was um, a 60-hour course at a, at a business level. Um, and it was a great course. But nobody bought it because it was such a commitment and it was such unproven. Uh, and so... The reason I bring that up is because I broke the courses down into uh, six different levels. And so the first one was about being listening and being present. And the next one was about presentations, how to do presentations, how to be present with your presentations. Um, the next one was creativity. Uh, improv is a lot about creativity, coming up with creative solutions and trusting yourself and not, not putting barriers on yourself. Uh, the next one was sales, because we believed if you had the first three, you could do sales. And the next one was uh, team building. And these were all kind of substantial. And team building is about, you know, listening, being present, communicating, and some parts sales, too, and then leadership. And so we created these tiered programs to come through. And really, I spent so much time on this that we had such a huge option that now when people come to us and they're like, I want to do this, this, and this. Um, I say, okay. And then I can just, I know what exercises to do, what my debriefs are. And then really what we do is say, okay, how much of a debrief do you want? Um, because improv is something you can dial up or dial down. So on a, on a, a scale of one to 10, one being we don't, we can't go to hockey because of the pandemic. So we thought we'd do this. Well, improv is super fun. It's, it's a lot, it's very fun. It's, I, I won't say it's more fun than a hockey game, but it's a lot of fun. Um, it's safer. And then you're like, it's a lot safer for everybody. <laughs> it's cold in those arenas. It is. And those pucks, when they come off the ice, you never know what could happen. No, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll talk to you about some, a story. But anyway, so um, so we're like, okay, there's a lot. And then another debrief is like, 
what did you get out of it? In improv, this is why we do it. How does that apply to what you do? And then we can go even deeper on the debrief and like, tell me about a time or when was the next time, next time you are in this situation, how are you going to apply that? And so uh, the, the level of debrief depends on what the amount of, you know, what your value is and what your what you consider your return on investment. Is my return on investment just having a group activity that everybody's having fun and bonding? Or is it more of like, I've got to have those tangible things that I can put in my pocket that my that my team can use. And sometimes it becomes part of the culture where it's like, you know, something we do almost all the time is yes and. And that can become part of the culture of listening, accepting what somebody is saying, and then building on it. And if you create that as a culture, that's an accelerator. You know, I can tell you there's a week that goes by that I don't make some reference to something I learned in improv. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it's true. So yes, and comes up a lot in my conversations. I do things like follow the follower, you know, activities that we did where you start to, you know, somebody's leading, somebody's following, and you're doing it in such a way with such focus that it, after a while of switching back and forth between one person leading and the other following, you don't even know who's following anymore who's leading anymore. You're just so in tune. So just that ability to, to pay attention with all your senses in a way and, and encourage and support others so they can follow you. I mean, just so much stuff. I mean, two days ago, I was talking to a guy and I had just put an overlay on him. I, in the middle of a meeting, I said something like, well, Billy can handle it, right? Like, and, and I realized, in, so I apologized to him later. I said, in, in improv, that'd be kind of like you walking on stage and me saying, boy, too bad about your broken leg, right? And then he'd have to do the rest of the scene hobbling around. And that was an overlay on him that really almost paralyzed his ability to do the scene. And sometimes I do that in business. And, it's just so amazing how much this is part of my lexicon, my worldview, and it has helped me immeasurably in business. So I, I, I guess I'm just this walking, you know, testament to what these concepts can mean as a leader and in, in teams. So I'm super excited about it. So if they go to this pixie.com, there's nothing like making it super easy for someone like me to um, a pixie, A-P-I-X-I-I, it's applied improv or something going on in here? It's applied improv and then uh, I think 12 in Roman numerals. But um, the only reason we have it that way is because that was not, that was legally okay to grab and not, you know, I got to have all of the Facebook and the, the you know, LinkedIn and all that. You're putting it's a little pixie dust on people's uh, business life, I think. A pixie. And if you're a Harry Potter geek like I am, it's also a spell that, pisky is a spell that heals. This so, is getting deeper and deeper. This is one of, you know, one of the things about great improvers is I think they're probably, they read a lot. They're, they experience the world a lot. I mean, when I, when I, I was so impressed by the best in class, you know, uh, Doug Vincent's of the world who I was in class with or the O'Shea's or some others. I mean, the people who were super good at it were so literate, so well-schooled, had such diverse knowledge because they call on that all the time to bring it into the moment. And I think, again, in business, all these things are relevant, right? Like the leaders are readers. And the more we expose ourselves to other ideas and concepts, the more we can pull them in as we influence people to follow us down a journey. So anyway, on we go. Let's uh, let's talk about the before. I want to come back to this, by the way, just to put a pin in it. But um, before we do, there was this year that we just went through and are still going through. 
And for me, it was great sadness that you physically shut down a physical property where every time I went back to Denver, I would go and go to your theater space. It was a sacred space, right? So tell me what that was like having been a business owner who'd run a brick and mortar business on top of an online uh, and event business, what it was like to shut down the physical space. You know, it, it, I wish it was more of an emotional choice, um, but it was not, it was just a choice that, uh, I mean, it had emotions coming through it, but it was just a, uh, a, a business decision that had to be made. We had no income coming in. Um, our monthly uh, nut was huge. I think our landlord would have probably been willing to work with us, but you know, you still have payroll and insurance and phone and, you know, things that are like weighing too hard on us. And we just were like, and for the last five years now, we've been really focused on a pixie and growing our business arm of this. And we've really been in love with that, but we, we never wanted to shut down the theater because we loved it. We wanted to hand it off. And plus it was such a community. Um, there's a community of improvisers. And when you when you really improvise well, you're listening to people, you're heard, you're seen, and you are letting yourself be seen. And that kind of authenticity and that kind of vulnerability builds a bond. And so Denise and I never wanted to shut down the theater. However, um, this we also took this as an opportunity to launch into our pixie.com full time. And we're like, okay, it's time to start building this business up. Uh, we've been wanting to go here. Let's take advantage of this and move forward on our business arm. So that's what we're doing. So for those who are joining in, I'd love to hear how you have been exposed to some kind of team building activity or something, some event that really shaped you, right? You went, you participated, you got maybe uncomfortable for a minute and then you got in the flow of it and you came out the other side better. I'd love to, anybody want to jump in on that, please just pop it into the chat at LinkedIn or Facebook or, or uh, YouTube or wherever the heck we're at right now. But uh, as we're typing, can I jump in on something? Please. I would love it if you did. The interesting thing about you said that you felt uncomfortable with and then eventually became comfortable. So many people are uncomfortable with the word improv as soon as you say it because they think, oh, I've got to be funny. I've got to be quick witted. I've got to be, you know, this whole thing. So many different preconceptions come into mind. And yet what we do is we simply play children's games. And uh, I think it was Thaggy who said that a game is just a good excuse for a debrief. <laughs> and so we play these we play these games and then we use these as debriefs. And the reason we play the games is if some book says you need to be a good listener, you're like, OK, I need to be a good listener. But how do you listen? You really need to practice those behaviors in real life to understand how to do those behaviors. It's very hard to cognitively change your mind and say, all right, don't think about an elephant. Don't think about an elephant. Don't think about an elephant. You're going to be thinking about an elephant. But once you start interacting with something else, that thought is going to vanish. Um, so with listening, it's like, be a good listener, be a good listener. If I have that mantra running through my head, I'm listening to me, not the person who's speaking. So these kinds of exercises that we do are really safe, fun practices that you can do that really teach these methodologies that every business leader says to do. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I think that, and frankly, here's the, the reality. When I was going through the class, I had young kids and we, I would take improv games 
I can't tell you the name of them. I just know that, you know, we're going on a trip and I'm bringing something that starts with an A and they respond to something with a B, whatever. I mean, we just did these gamey things or we would do song shout out, you know, have a theme and we'd all sing songs and pop up to the front of the stage. And, and even today as adult kids, when they come home, that's one of the ways we play together. And I think it's helped us be a little less conservative in our interactions. And, you know, there's so many ways to interact, but it's almost legal play, you know, like you, you get it, you can do it and you can do it as a, with kids, adults and kids, adults and adults. It's, it's cool stuff, people. If you can't figure well, that out by now. All right. Well, I'm sure you know this. I mean, it was all invented by uh, two women, but um, in the 30s and 20s, uh, one of whom was a sociologist who believed in play therapy. And her point is, is that when you're playing your whole brain, you're completely present. You're not thinking about the past. You're not thinking about the future. Uh, and for an analogy, if you're playing tag, you're not thinking, all right, if Jenny tags Toby and Toby runs over this way, you know, if you're thinking about who's tagging who, you're already tagged. Right. So how am I present in that moment? And play puts us in a present moment. And how do we be fully present and still active, have a have an active mind and still be fully present? It's an interesting, it, it's really, I love it still. In 1998, yes, people were alive in 1998, children. Uh, 1998, I wrote a book called Humor, Play, and Laughter. And I was coming out of my life as a psychologist, right? And so... That book was all about the value of humor, play, and laughter. Catchy title, because given what it's about. Um, but humor, play, and laughter was a lot about why we need to encourage kids to play and why play is kids' work, right? Uh, building those synapses, helping with finding gross motor, whatever it might be. Um, and I was looking at humor techniques that are very, like, I got some good news, I got some bad news. And, and a lot of the things still are all connected to this improv world. The things that make things funny in improv are sometimes the juxtapositions, the things that don't necessarily fit together. Um, I don't know, I just to me, I can't encourage you enough. Wh whoever you are, wherever you're watching this from, I am begging you to at least head over to the website at Epixie to try to understand the value proposition. So since I'm telling them to do it, can we at least preview what they're going to experience once they take the uh, the journey of their fingers to your website? Yeah, once they take the uh, fingers to the journey of our website, um, they can actually buy a course in person. Uh, right now, you, to get an online course, you still have to contact us because we're working on it. So, um, but if we're doing something digitally, um, what we would do is we'd ask you what you want your desired takeaways are, what your situation is. We're getting a lot of people that like our teams are collapsing, we're merging, or we're getting a lot of, uh, we're laying off people and there's a lot of nervousness and how to be present in nervousness. And what you do is you tell us what your situation is and what you want us to deal with. And then we talk to you a little bit more and say, is this what you're saying? And once we're very clear on what you want the desired, out, uh, the desired takeaways to be, then I design a... Uh, personalized workshop for you that so the debriefs kind of lead to these assumptions so what happens is then your group will play a game I'll ask with how they played the game I'll tell them why it's important to be an improviser to have these skills and then I'll say how does that apply to what you do hmm. and what happens is they have the truth of the experience and then we ask them to build that to other experiences so we try to use behavior uh, we try to use experiences to change behaviors 
So I, I love that's this. That's a little different than say maybe some improvisers who come in and take little facts about your company and then build a skit around that. Uh, is that an option too, or is that a different phenomenon? Phenomenon. That's a that's a different phenomenon. But um, if you want that, we also do that at bovimetropolis.com. And uh, we're doing a lot of that kind of uh, uh, role play and, and developing sketches for companies at bovimetropolis.com, which is our us. So I'll let them find their way to bovimetropolis.com on their own. Uh, but I think, you know, it's important, I think, just to make that distinction, right? Like if you're looking for entertainment, that pulls in threads of your culture and then does a cool improv improvisational skit. It's kind of got some built-in skit elements, but has a lot of embellishment in the real-time moment. Um, that is available through bovinemetropolis.com. But what we're really talking about now is that you want to deal with something like some business issue, uh, team alignment, or better listening to one another or our customers, or some underlying anxiety, and then you build for them some activities that they all participate in, do their voodoo. And then the debrief helps them kind of uncover the truths that are relevant to, to coping or, or dealing with those kind of issues. Right. Right. And we have been lucky enough to form some partnerships with some companies where we either take everybody through everybody in the company through the same um, program or you know, we come back every quarter or every six months to do a refresher because, you know, it's, it's interesting, but saying yes and is not as easy as saying yes and. Yeah. And it's it's uh, I, like I get it, but someone's going to come up to me. And even me when I was an improviser, uh, I was working on the website one day and I said, I said, how do I create a new web page for a new show? And my web developer said, what's the new show? And I said, this is 2012, 2011. I said, I don't know, uh, Harry Potter improv. And I had two people in my office going, are we doing that show? Are we doing that show? And I was like, no. And I heard myself say no. And I'm like, yes, we're doing that show. So mm -hmm. we started creating that show, held auditions. I thought we'd cast somebody that looks like somebody in the cast. And we started casting that. And then uh, the cast was like, I don't know if we want to do this. Can we do the grandkids of Harry or the kids of Harry Potter? And I said, certainly. So we did the kids of Harry Potter going to Hogwarts. And then uh, about three or four years later, J.K. Rowling did The Cursed Child, which was the kids of Harry Potter. So then we had to start doing the grandkids because we, we, we paid attention to the canon. We paid attention to the canon. So here's the, here's my take on Yes, Andy, because I, I use it a lot in business, right? So um, yes, and in the improv world, as you walk out on stage with another person, the two of you are looking at each other and they do something and you're so damned thankful that you aren't the one having to come up with something. All you need to do is say yes to what they're doing and build on it, right? So thank you for the gift of grabbing a bat, right? Because by grabbing a bat, now I can react to that instead of have to think about where do we start this scene? Um, in business, the parallel, at least in my world, is that oftentimes someone will throw out an idea and rather than finding anything good in the idea, we just like, boom, you know, and particularly if you're the boss, like, thank you for your idea. Now let's hear my idea. Um, and I think that if we say yes to it, we find the thing in it that we can build on. We validate that the other human being is like worthy of being in our workplace and is capable of generating ideas that'll move us forward. 
Is that how you see it? Because I mean, that's how I use it. And if I'm using it wrong, please no. don't tell anyone. This is just between you and me. Okay. No, that's exactly how I see it. And that's exactly how I use it. Um, I have come to a little bit more depth with it. Uh, I bet you have, because I'm like Mr. Just on the surface, but go for it. Yeah, well, no. Well, I, and I'm writing actually several blogs about it right now because I feel like it's a it's a misunderstood statement, you know, that because it's so small that we don't get it. Um, but what the value for me is, uh, like you said, the inclusion it creates, the uh, way people have buy-in. You know, we're always talking about let's get buy-in. We need buy-in. Let's get people to, and we want to have more inclusion. We want to hear everybody's voice. Um, well, yes, and does a really good job at that. And there are times when you can't say yes, and you know, if there's, you know, if you're dealing with a legal matter or surgery, there's times when you have to be like, no, that's not going to work. Um, but a lot of times we just in knee-jerk conversations say no. Um, you have kids, I have kids. You can hear them fighting over. You're wearing my sweater. No, I'm not. And it's to territoriality or territoriality. I think it's a word now. Um, but it's uh, for right this moment. It is. Yes. Thanks. So, uh, but it's so ingrained in trying to figure out where we are in the world that we we try to hold on, and no is a great way to hold on. Um, and it, but it creates a barrier. It creates separation. And is that what you're really trying to create in this moment, or is that just a knee jerk reaction? And so, if you really want to create inclusion, if you really want to uh, value somebody, if you want somebody to feel heard and be heard, then you yes and. But it's hard because. My no is knee jerk, and I know why I want to say no. Yeah. And to yes and, what I have to figure out is why I want to say no, and how do I solve that no to build on your pro to build on your idea to make it better and stronger, rather than just saying nope, boom, next. Yeah, you know it's not interesting to me too because I think we think no is a power word. But someone you could say no to almost anything. You can't say yes to most things. Like I can't say yes to the Ferrari, no matter how much I want to say yes to the Ferrari. I could say, no, I don't think I'll buy the Ferrari today. Uh, but I can't say yes, and uh, let's get two of them. Um, but I think something about the yes and is this, this power to affirm. And, and I don't think you can affirm things that are not affirmable and all of that. But how often do we not affirm when we have that power. It just is something cool about that. So the Ritz-Carlton used to say, the answer is yes, now what is the question, right? But they could normally charge you for the yes, right? They had plenty of premium that they could charge. So of course we could say yes to almost any service request. Uh, you're just gonna have to pay for yes. Um, well, I, I was using yes even in my college before I went to uh, improv because I was managing the student center at uh, CSU. And they would always have me to go with the brides and their mothers to look at the space because I would always say yes. Oh. Um, and well, unless it wasn't physically possible, like can right. we do this? And like I'd say, no, you can't. That's a fire exit, so we can't cover that. So you know, there's laws you have that say no. But can we do this? Yes. You if, if it was like I didn't care, like you know, if it wasn't like against the rules. Yeah. Can I do this? Yes, but it's going to cost you this much more. Right. Exactly. Um, and so. Yeah, well, and you know, the other thing you can sometimes do when people say, you know, can I have something that's completely not possible is to say, yes, I, I hear what you want. Here is what I can do. Like, I've never said no in the sentence, 
but by the gap between what you asked for and what I really said yes to is clearly the no, right? And these are just subtle things, but they make a huge deal of difference because as soon as you say no to somebody, I think you start shutting them down. You really do create a, a different kind of relational dynamic. So anyway, these are things I learned from improv. These are things I learned from you. I swear this is where I got it. And over my life, I've used it in my own limited capacity. I'm so glad that you continued this journey and keep building it. And then a pixie is around for people in business now to get these skills. I'd love to see your omnibus course that you wrote thinking that people could do 75,000 hours of improv nonstop binge watching. Um, but I love that you've actually now made it more consumable, right? Like more consumable, more modularized. What do I need? How do we take the best of that compendium course and apply it in the moment for your specific business need? And I still got it in my back pocket if any university wants to give me an emeritus degree. <laughs> you look really good with all that extra regalia on you. So that would be fabulous. Anything, anything to cover this, I'm in. <laughs> all right. Let me just go. Uh, let's see here. We got a career. Uh, great conversation on the importance of yes, says someone who's in the peanut gallery with us today. So thank you very much, Pam, for that. All right, we're at that time, that witching time where I gotta ask you to make sure that we're really super clear. I, I've been scrolling your phone number down here uh, on the bottom of the screen. And for a while I had it in like big, bold block letters so that everybody could just dial you up, like uh, hit your digits. So if you wanna get a hold of them, you can go to a Pixie, you can order up those courses. Um, for the live stuff. So live stuff's coming online, right? Like you're you're doing some of this. Yeah, I did my first live training in over a year. Uh, I did a training for the National Football League uh, last year on February 28th. And I did a live training. Or Are you telling me none of that football stuff is real? It's all improvisational? Uh, this was with uh, the marketing teams for the. Okay, players. all right. I thought maybe what we were seeing on the screen. I wish it was with the players. If it wasn't with the players, I'd still be there. <laughs> all right. But, uh, so, so you did some I, NFL I stuff. Just name drop like the NFL, will you? All right. So yeah, NFL, a Broncos, year ago, sorry, I interrupted you as you were trying to make a point, which is my nature. I was going to say, if the Denver Broncos would love me to come into their locker room, I'd love to work with the offensive line. So anyway. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, no. So a year ago, I did a, 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 a February twenty eighth. And then on February 26th, someone asked for an in-learning, in-person workshop. And it was really interesting. We had people, um, I was double masked, I try to stay 12 feet away from everybody. Uh, they had a little pod and those people were without masks in the little pod. And then they had other people that were all working their, their uh, restaurant chain. So they're, they worked together. And uh, it was really great to be back in the room. I can't tell you how, back, how great it was to be back in a theater setting, having people uh, move around again and hearing laughter. Um, you don't hear a lot of laughter on Zoom. I mean, you can see it, but you know, people got their mics muted and one person's got the volume control at all times. But to hear roars of laughter and then the debriefs are just so much more rich. It was just great to be back in the room again. I, I, so I think, you know, there's no doubt we're, we're heading there, right? I mean, there may be fit starts, who knows, but we're heading back to a time when people are going to be able to get together and we're going to be able to do these live trainings. The beauty of yours is it can be really small, a small business unit. It can be a large crowd. You can do breakouts, all that stuff, right? I mean, it, you can scale this up or down. So if you're talking about a small group, that is a possibility. Larger groups also possible in small, smaller settings. So yes, yes and. 
Thank you. I could not have said that better myself. <laughs> All right. So they're going to go to, you could have, but thanks for, for deferring nonetheless. All right, let's, we're going to go to pixie.com. We're going to find out all about the corporate trainings. Uh, and then we'll, we'll just go through bovinemetropolis.com if you're interested more in an entertainment function for your group. All right. It's that time. It's that witching hour time. I warned you about this. You, they, you watched one of my prior live streams and you admitted you never made it to this point in my live stream, which speaks volumes to how flipping engaging I truly am. Um, but here we are. It, just because you didn't experience it, I will walk you through it. Um, we're going to do just uh, about five minutes of, you know, little prompts. I'm sure that's totally alien to you to have to respond to little prompts. Um, and they're just to get your reaction, not trying to get you to be funny. That's not our job. Um, but to just have you react to uh, to some prompts, okay? Are you are you with me on this? I am with you. Well, if I had it easily available in my little document, I wouldn't be vamping like I am right now. Okay, here we are. Here we go. Prompt number one: the Grateful Dead. Oh yeah. Um, so we had uh, uh, actually one of the Grateful Dead come to our show once, and my biggest regret, my biggest no I've ever done that I've still kicked myself for was we were at the bar and Kurtzman looks at me and he goes, we should have you guys, you should have you work with the Grateful Dead. And I was such a fanboy that I'm like, me teach the Grateful Dead how to improvise? <laughs> what? And uh, instead of saying, yes, here's my card. I would love to come out to San Francisco. We'll travel. And I would love to get with all of you and uh, get you doing some improv. And there's still someone That's in the lodge, so you can't even lie and claim that you did teach them how to improv because they could no. they could disprove it. All right. First I would I still regret that. I still regret that. <laughs> first tea of Denver. Oh, uh, first tea of Denver is a nonprofit that I board um, that board chair for in Denver. And what we do is we teach kids uh, golf and we also teach them core values. Uh, we have nine core values that we teach, like responsibility, integrity. And so the kids come in for a lesson. We teach them that word. We tell them what it means to be on the golf course, what, what responsible means to be on the golf course, what good sportsmanship means to be on the golf course. And then we teach them how to swing balls. But we also we also teach kids how to do reading. We do a read sweep program where we go into schools that have uh, students who are not at reading level. And we have volunteers that come in and do one-on-one -on -one reading with them. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll read for out loud for half an hour with the, with our volunteers. And then they'll go outside for half an hour and they'll get a swing. Or if it's the weather's not doing it, we'll give them aqua golf so they can go like or putt putt. And uh, so we really try to tie in uh, education and integrity and kind of like life skills with golf. And I, well, I love it. This is, you know, the reason I threw you this softball or golf ball, depending on how you'd like to look at it, is that it to me speaks to who you and Denise are in your community. And this is despite a tough year. I mean, where, you know, your physical building isn't necessarily in the heart of downtown Denver, which is where it used to be. Um, where that's not the case, you're still actively in the community doing it. And where you have to pivot and have to readjust your cash flows and financial flows and all that, while you're still struggling against those pressures of this time, you are still giving back to the community. And back in the day when Bovine Metropolis had its physical presence, you would donate tickets to all kinds of nonprofits in your community so that those seats that you couldn't sell were populated with people who got the gift of the laughter that you shared. So 
that was why I threw that your way. Thanks. Yeah, we no problem. We still uh, we still get people asking us for donations, and we're doing online shows for for donations still. So if you have how that can be in the middle of all this, bless you. All right, let me uh, let me bring up a couple other really sourced subjects here. McRib. Okay, uh, McRib uh, reminds me of Chicago um, because it, uh, they put some cheese on the McRib and called it a McJordan. And I think no. that's the last time I had a McRib was a McJordan with cheese. Is a McRib with cheese is a McJordan. So wow! But and but you've posted uh, an image of McRib on your Facebook page. Well, okay, I was wondering where you're getting all this stuff. I'm like, God, where is he getting all this? Um, I, I'm not yeah, looking um, for your 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 drawers. I, you know, I'm, I think that was a joke. I'm not a. Uh, I don't go to McDonald's much. Or and actually, I I stopped a long time ago. I still I you know. I, they do a lot of good stuff. Why are you putting McRib on your Facebook page if you don't want weird people like me using it in our lightning round? <laughs> I, I never thought that far. Okay, I will. Sometimes there's strategy and sometimes there's improv. <laughs> 15, 1527 Champa. I just want to throw that out real quick and then I'll get to two last ones. That is our uh, address that we were at for 20 years in downtown Denver. Uh, that's the home of Bovine Metropolis Theater in Denver. And uh, that's the place that we just had to vacate. So, um, and luckily though, we got to donate all of our props and costumes and all of our office supplies to uh, George Washington Public High School here in town um, because um, our daughters go to school there. And it's like, you know, well, I'm doing some improv now. I think Patty is listening on uh, on this. So I'm going to ask her to go and try to find my Bovine Metropolis T-shirt if she can locate it. And also to locate uh, a quilt I got from uh, from Bonnie. So, Patty, if, you, if you're uh, in the vast expanses of the Michelli Enterprise Studios and you can gain access to those items and bring them in, uh, that would be fabulous. So... Um, because I want to share my, because the last time I was there, I got a Bovine Metropolis t-shirt and I can prove it. So, all right, here's the, while I'm waiting on the possibility of having those two items material. Whoa, how quick was that? Okay, that's one. That's not the Bovine Metropolis t-shirt. But look at this. What do you think of this, Eric? It's much better than it was before I bought it up, right? Hold it, hold it up closer to the screen. I want to see more of it. Sorry. Isn't that beautiful? That is wonderful. Yeah, so this was given to me this week by my sister, Bonnie, and uh, she's listening today. So I saw that she was in the live stream and saying hello. So I thought I would make sure that I shared that. So that are was that. Are those silk quilts or they, they look silky from? Uh, they're, all, they're all like ties. She took ties because yeah. she remembers awesome. there was a time before the pandemic when I wore them all the time. And now the closest I can get to a tie is uh, on my quilt, but what what handiwork. So I uh, just want to say thank you to uh, Bonnie. I'll put her little quote up there. Hello, Bonnie. Good to see you. All right. So now I didn't get the Bovine Metropolis t-shirt. That's being worked on by the cracked crew here at the Michelli Experience. So time for just the last items uh, in the live, in the quick round, which is, uh, well, I see, I'm kind of sad because I know you have so many women around you. The only ones I know names of are Denise and Julia. And I'm missing one, right? And Josie. Josie. Josephine. Okay, so let me let me throw these words out at you. Denise, Julia, and Josie. Uh, that's my family. So that's my world. Um, as a matter of fact, when I group text them, it's called my world. Uh -huh. um, and here's the thing, you know, 
the pandemic has been, um, it's been horrible, but for me, it's been a mixed bag because even though I've had to lose my business, um, my physical business, um, I'm spending Fridays and Saturday nights home for the first time in 20 years with my daughters and my wife. And they're really great people. I really like being around them. That is so, awesome. Um, Not everybody can yeah, say so, that. So that's, that is awesome. Sorry, I'm putting this over my shirt, my jacket. What do you think? I, I love it. I love it. I, I should have worn mine today. Yeah. Okay. It's really good to wear them over a suit jacket. It's particularly nice that way. It, it so there's your world. I am so glad that you have them in your world. I'm so glad you were in my world. I hope those of you who are watching today will enter the world of a pixie. You will check them out. Just, you know, just tell them Joseph sent you. Um, you'll get the friends and family rate. <laughs> Whatever that is. All right. So uh, thank you very much for being there, Eric. You are a lifesaver on so many dimensions. We got uh, all that information scrolling along the bottom of the screen right now. I'll take his phone number out. So better write it down quickly. 720-217-3726. And then finally, oh, maybe you don't have to write it down because I made it even bigger. <laughs> all right. Now, I will ask you to just look at a pixie.com. Make sure you head that away. Okay. Thank you so much, Eric. And then we just got some amazing guests coming up. I won't go through the list of them, but I ask you to tell a friend that we are here on Thursdays at 1230. Where else can they see a grown man put a t-shirt over their dress jacket? I mean, seriously, this is high value entertainment. Uh, plus, we really have a lot of thought leaders uh, on the horizon. Ekaterina Walter worked for Sprinklers coming up. She is one of the queens of branding. We've got Douglas Conant, who used to run a little place like Campbell's Soup, for example. And he's going to talk to us about leadership. He's really kind of taken Brene Brown to another level. Sorry, Brene. Uh, but he's got some pretty amazing insights. Uh, more on the applied side of what Brene had been talking from an academic side. So awesome stuff coming up. Thank you for being who you are and where you are today. Please share this with someone. Tell me, do this, hashtag Joseph Michelli, when you do, when you support this and send it out to somebody, advance it, we'll send you a copy of Stronger Through Adversity. Uh, we'll, we'll select from a group of people who do that. So please share this with somebody you know and make sure people know about a pixie uh, and what they're doing in terms of applied improv. That's all I got time for today. Sorry, kids. We'll do this again next week.